Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Dialogue Disparities. My name is Isha. My name is Denlin. And we will be your hosts for today. So in previous episodes, we talked about the racial disparities associated with the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as health disparities due to socioeconomic conditions. For today's episode, we're going to discuss gender disparities. So to start off, what is gender and is it the same as sex? So Isha, that's a good question to start today's podcast off with. So I'm sure many people are still confused about the difference between gender and sex. So gender is a social construct that's based on social norms. So for each of the genders, there are expected behaviors, such as for males, females, or even non-binary persons. But sex is the biologically defined physical characteristics of a person that you're born with. So gender is not actually equal to sex. And today in our episode, we're going to be dishing the binary female-male dichotomy, and we're going to speak of gender as a spectrum. And keep in mind, sex is not always binary either. So even biologically, people may be born as an intersex individual, which means that they have characteristics of both males and females. So although this is rare, it still does happen. And we wanted to expand the conversation today to include marginalized populations to include the sexual minorities such as trans, intersex, and non-binary folks in our conversation today. There's no one-size-fits-all definition for gender or sex. Men, women, and non-binary folks in the same communities often lead quite different lives, exposing them to different risks and offering them differential access to health and healthcare. So let's talk about femme-identifying individuals. What are some of the disparities that women face? So you cannot argue with anyone that throughout history, women took on a larger share of domestic responsibilities than men. However, you might argue that nowadays society is becoming more progressive. More women are starting to work towards financial independence. So then men, maybe they're taking on more domestic responsibilities. But actually, if you look at studies, it says that as more women are entering paid employment, there's a major increase in the amount of duties that women are expected to carry out because men actually do not take on larger shares of domestic responsibilities. So then women continue to take on the domestic responsibilities while still entering labor. So then you are doing both paid work and unpaid work as a woman. So in America, married mothers actually spend two times as much time on housework and childcare. And the burden from taking care of the family and also working, it causes psychological stress. And then constantly being in this kind of high stress environment, it leads to symptoms such as depression, anxiety, high blood pressure, or even like cardiovascular disease or stroke, or even insomnia. But how come women can afford to spend more time with kids when everyone has the same 24 hours in a day? So women actually take 10 times as much temporary leave from work upon childbirth, and more women take time off from work than men. And notice that these leaves are actually unpaid. So then this could lead to long-term financial consequences, including the loss of income, loss of benefits, you miss raises and promotions, and you end up being poorer than men. So there was this report that I came across, and it said that by retirement age, women may have earned up to a million dollars less than men, and that's a lot. So then this might create some financial barriers to healthcare. And this might explain why poor women comprise a large proportion of the population in poverty. So essentially what I'm saying is gender bias would lead to higher rates of poverty in women. And this poverty can pose a threat to the health of individuals. You bring up an interesting point. After becoming a parent, women are more likely to switch to a job with greater flexibility, often at the expense of lower pay. Women have limited autonomy in the sense that they have a reduced ability to be financially independent. It's as if this is an expectation for women. So why isn't the same precedent set for men? 
Actually, on the other hand, if men were to do the same thing for their children, like take up a more flexible job and take extensive time off, they actually are viewed as a less capable leader. So society actually holds a negative attitude towards males taking a paternity leave. So there was this 2013 study done by researchers from the University of South Florida. So then when men took paternity leaves, they were actually particularly looked down upon by individuals in the corporation and even society because flexibility seekers, they were seen as less masculine. So then men, while they do value work flexibility to the same extent that women did, they were reluctant to seek work flexibility because of these well-founded fears of stigmatization, which could potentially impact their career advancement and then also reduce their earnings in the future. Speaking of stigma, men are also quite stigmatized for being successful as at those traditionally female gender type jobs, such as nursing. So this kind of stigmatization kind of forces men to take up jobs that they would naturally not gravitate towards. And this may contribute to depression. You bring up an interesting point about stigma and challenging gender norms tends to be easier said than done and can even result in more stigma, violence and even discrimination. Violence can be the result of challenging gender norms, such as for more autonomy, which ultimately compromises the person's autonomy and safety. A recent example was Farishta Kohistani, who was an Afghan women's rights activist who was shot dead along with her brother by unknown gunmen on a motorbike. Farishta had asked for protection from authorities after receiving threats, also following a series of killings of other significant activists. Because of this example, it may be tempting to think that violence as a result of challenging gender norms is far from home, but it's not. This was only an example of extreme physical violence, but stigma and discrimination are also possible and frequent repercussions for those challenging gender norms. According to a BBC article from 2019, many young women hesitate to call themselves feminists because of the various stereotypes attached to the label. Feminism tends to be associated with man-hating, a lack of femininity, and a variety of other forms of stigma. And that's why the term feminism is growing increasingly complicated. Right, like now when you say feminism, there's just so many layers to that. And one aspect of feminism is that so many women nowadays have limited autonomy over their own body. So for example, like poor women, they're often used as captive populations to test contraceptives and other drugs that like the woman cannot afford for themselves. So they don't really have a kind of choice when it comes to a kind of contraceptive that they're forced to take. So for example, in India, female sterilization accounts for 66% of contraception use. So the other options such as male sterilization, oral contraceptives and condoms, or IUD even, they were not sought after. And female sterilization occurred at a very young age, and they occurred under very inhumane conditions. So there were toxins in the drugs found in the study um, of India, and also there's poor hygiene during the surgery. So then a lot of women actually die during or after surgical sterilization. That being said, of course, women are not the only ones that face barriers to healthcare. There are also many disparities that are also unique to individuals identifying as men. So what are some of them? You're absolutely right, Danlin. Disparities aren't foreign to men either. At present, women still represent the vast majority of diagnosed breast cancer cases. But a 2019 study found significant survival differences between male and female breast cancer patients varied with men having a significantly reduced survival rate. Based on a five-year overall survival rate, women had an 86.4% chance, while men only had a 77.6% chance. Some of the factors identified by the authors included in clinical trials and evaluations for breast cancer treatment, 
men and women have been linked together, thus the treatment of male breast cancer has largely been based on studies involving women. This occurs despite the biology of the disease most likely being different in males, and has ultimately led to the lack of adequate treatment. Another disparity resulted by this is a delayed diagnosis. The study found that a larger percentage of men than women were diagnosed with advanced stage disease simply due to the delay in diagnosis, because not enough is known about breast cancer in men. The study also found that men were less likely than women to receive radiation therapy. Note that this effect remains significant after controlling for clinical characteristics like the type and stage of breast tumors, but male patients still have a 19% higher chance of death within five years of diagnosis, as well as higher death rates than women across all stages of breast cancer. Now, we've shed some light on women and men's health disparities, but what about individuals who identify with neither of the two? What are some of the disparities experienced by gender non-conforming individuals, such as trans individuals? So you bring up an important topic. Let's all grab a cup of coffee before I start this long talk about how trans individuals are actually one of the most marginalized and most underserved populations in medicine. So transgender patients, they often require medical interventions such as sex hormone replacement therapy, or sometimes they may require surgery. So in proper doses, hormones are actually safe, but they should be prescribed and monitored by a physician to guard against dangerous side effects. However, Trans people often do not have reliable access to hormones from their doctors. And real or perceived stigma and discriminatory behaviors within medical institutions, they may impact the people's desire to access appropriate care. So a lot of trans people are more hesitant to consult healthcare services because they have had negative experiences in the past, which can be unpleasant or even sometimes traumatic, or out of fear of discrimination, even though they haven't experienced it in the past. But early detection is actually essential for reversing the progression of many diseases, especially cancer. In addition, there's financial reasons that may explain why trans people and gender non-conforming people face poor health outcomes. So there's a lot of discrimination in the workplace. A study reported that 26% of transgender and gender non-conforming adults, they're fired from their workplace simply because of their identity. It causes many of them to face financial barriers to healthcare. Moreover, stigmatization, it fosters a reluctance to like disclose their gender identity when you consult a healthcare person. This can have dire consequences for long-term health outcomes due to a lack of appropriate medical history, including their transition-related care. So I came across this study that had alarming statistics. In this large national transgender study that involved 6,400 transgender individuals, 41% of them actually reported having attempted suicide. And this is 26% higher than the general population. That's alarming. And 30% of those individuals reported having turned to smoking, alcohol, or substance use to cope with mistreatment. And these are rates that are also significantly higher than the general population. So alcohol, smoking, substance abuse, all of these impact health directly in the negative sense. However, these behaviors might also contribute to a lack of acceptance faced by trans individuals in the society because these actions are what society regards as unacceptable. So not only are trans people more likely to get sick in the first place, but they're also less likely to seek treatment when they do get sick. But arguably, the biggest barrier to healthcare reported by transgender individuals is the lack of access due to lack of providers that have expertise in providing care for these transgender individuals. So why is that the case? Do physicians lack the ability to understand the physiology of trans individuals simply because of hormone therapy? 
So in short, yes, there's very little research on how people's bodies process those hormones that are given because it's kind of a new concept that has only emerged in the recent decades. So being treated with hormones, it actually changes your biology. So for example, if you're pregnant, doctors know to tweak the standard female doses for a pregnant woman because they have a higher body weight and they have a lot of hormones in their body. However, no such considerations are actually made for transgender people who, as a result of surgery or hormonal therapies, they're known to not respond to certain drugs in the same way. And also, transgender medicine is actually left out of the conventional medical curriculum, and too few physicians have enough knowledge and are comfortable enough dealing with transgender individuals. So healthcare has always evolved with a straightforward dichotomy of gender as male and female. And there's also a fear of stigma associated with providing transgender medical care to individuals. So this hate or fear associated with transgender individuals, it stems from a lack of understanding and a lack of acceptance. And I think we really need to improve education and the training of physicians to improve and overcome this knowledge gap. And we also need to work on conducting more research. You've shed light on some really important social concerns that need to be addressed to better support and promote the health of the trans community. However, there are also significant gaps in transgender health research. Many health issues are understudied and population-based representative samples and longitudinal studies are minimal in number, and routine surveillance efforts for transgender populations' health are quite often rare. The health outcomes and needs of transgender populations was actually studied in a literature review with 116 studies across 30 different countries, which found 981 unique health-related data points. Mental health was the most common area studied, specifically mood disorders and anxiety disorders. This was followed by sexual and reproductive health, then substance abuse, followed by violence and victimization. Shockingly, gender health of transgender folks was the least researched area. Western University also did a Canada-wide study of nearly 3,000 transgender non-binary folks, and the reports of the survey noted concerning numbers surrounding people from these communities feeling like their health needs are consistently not being met. Another concern was the lack of research data, especially outside of Ontario. For society to progress forward and overcome these barriers to healthcare, we must redefine our current medical system such that the care a patient receives is not exclusively linked to their sex, but also takes into consideration their gender identity. Even though access to healthcare is becoming more equitable, disparities still remain present in today's society. In order for society to truly move forward, we must seek to crucially and critically identify these disparities and work towards mitigating them. This was a broad overview of gendered problems in the healthcare system. We discussed how individuals experience poverty in highly gendered ways. The health disparities mentioned in this episode are avoidable differences in health outcomes, but only the tip of the iceberg for the inconsideration of the intersectional overlap of gender and health. Stigma was a recurring theme and is futile and ultimately dangerous when we perceive the intersectionalities of health. We must work to unlearn and overcome preconceived notions and biases that lead to stigma. Stay tuned for our next episode where we will be addressing the stigma that's associated around mental health. Be critical, be aware, and don't stop the discussion on health disparities. And I'll see you next time. Thank you guys for tuning in.